Welcome to the IAB UK podcast. Hello and welcome to the IAB UK podcast. From the IAB, I'm James Chandler and this week we launch the final part of our real living research into the behaviour of shoppers, gamers, listeners and viewers over the past year and a bit. When are people doing things? What are they doing? And crucially, how they are doing it. It's a culmination of four week-long specialism events that we've run through 2021 with all of those deep dives laddering up to a set of brilliant insights relating to lockdown behaviour with our digital devices. As part of the launch, I hosted a trio of the industry's smartest thinkers whose job it was to interpret the consumer insights and help us all understand what they actually mean to advertisers and buyers. But before that, I sat down with the IB's Head of Research and Measurement, Elizabeth Lane, to get under the skin of why Real Living has made a return in 2021, six years on from its initial launch in 2015. Wow, I think the question I would have asked myself really is how could we not have done it again? But the world had completely changed. I mean, Real Living in 2015-2016 was um, such a revelation and all of the insights into how the smartphone really disrupted the living rooms was at the time just something that we hadn't seen before and it really sort of changed the way we needed to think about how we communicate uh, in in all our sort of media forms um, with consumers Um, but that feels like such a long time ago and the year of the smartphone has come around (laughs) every year since Um, and I think back in the end of 2020, we were thinking, what what do we want to sort of um, to look at in 2021? We just thought the whole world has just turned itself mm. on its head. Mm. We are all doing so much. We've all been stuck in our homes. What does this actually mean for brands and advertisers and what they should be uh, talking to consumers about and how they should be talking to consumers? It was just such an important topic to consider. Uh, and so we thought it worked so well last time. Mm. Um, Sparkler were a brilliant company to partner with. Let's talk to them again, see if we can do something to really unpick that the really complex digital world that we are we are seeing today and, and what it means for um, our members and brands and advertisers. So, yeah, I, I think it was just such a necessary question to ask ourselves. And do you think it's, I mean, you talked about the impact of the, the first study, and I remember it's sort of a seminal bit of work. It, it was amazing. It really got us thinking differently about uh, digital habits. Do you think this this part has had as as big if not a bigger impact slightly leading question but it feels big yeah it is big I mean and we've done so much more this time around because there's so much more to talk about so not only have we done our our real living launch this week which is bringing together everything we've done but throughout the whole year we've had these specialist weeks that have led Mm. been sort of led by what is the consumer saying about this this media today in 2021 so all of the things we've learned about how e-commerce is such a mainstream activity for everybody and we need nuanced strategies according to the different types of e-commerce and different types of consumers, or whether it's the fact that actually you need to think very differently about gaming mm. on a smartphone compared to gaming on a, on a console because the mindset consumers are in are, is completely different. Yeah. I think we've just learned so much more about what the uh, consumer of 2021 looks like um, this time around. So yeah, definitely it's had a huge impact. Doing this in the last 18 months during lockdown, you know, did that give us a very different set of results than perhaps you might have expected had we done it in, you know, inverted commas, normal times? Or do you just think all the behaviour was exacerbated by the fact that we were stuck at home? 
I think to a certain extent we're doing more of it than we have. We are definitely doing more of it than we would have been had we not all been at home 24-7, having to cook all our meals at home, having to buy everything online. But I think the interesting thing that is, I think, very different to had we done this in 2019 or had there not been a pandemic is we have seen a whole new set of audiences come online that were never there before. And so, yeah, I think maybe we might have seen similar trends. We might have seen younger people already picking up more and more in terms of their online shopping habits. We would have seen things like gaming and connected TV growing anyway because they already were. But I think the startling thing that we've seen over the last year is that older audience that maybe we were not maybe we weren't focusing on as much and we should have been anyway they've come online the biggest increase in 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 terms of usage online over the last year has been the over 75 i love that i love the ucom they had to change the categories i mean spoiler alert we talk about it uh in a minute but isn't that amazing yeah, absolutely. So yeah, um, UCOM's, uh, the, the Ipsos Iris data that um, powers the UCOM program, um, they had to change their establishment survey this year. I mean, they did it, they, they review it anyway, they always yeah. do it. It's yeah. a good thing they do. But um, the over 75s, they had to just rebase um, because there were so many more of them online mm. because of the pandemic. So yeah, that's a group that has completely changed. So I think that is probably one of the areas where had we done real living and there hadn't been a pandemic, we wouldn't yeah. have seen that change. The, the, the biggest question, or one that was sort of hotly debated for 12 months on this podcast was, what's the sense of um, new habits that we've discovered uh, during lockdown? What happens when we start to you know, go back out and do the things we did before? Do we retain those new behaviours or do we, when things just become like they were for, revert back to it and not do our online grocery shop? You know, we'll queue in a supermarket again. Or, or, or do you think it's, too soon to get a feel on that so i think it's a it's a bit of it's a bit of two answers there um consumers are actually telling us that they don't yet know what's mm. permanently changed so we did this is one of the questions we wanted to try and answer in in real living actually probably should have told ourselves right at the beginning we're not going to know this for sure <laughs> but we asked people has your device use permanently changed because of covid and they were completely split Mm. three ways a third of people saying yes it has a third of people saying no it hasn't and the other third saying it's too early to tell we don't know and I think that in itself answers the question we don't know exactly what it's going to look like in 12 months time but we do know from what consumers have been telling us more generally that they know that they've been increasing their device use they're not Mm -hmm. sure if that's the way they want things to permanently turn out where certainly we did the e-commerce deep dive at the beginning of the year there was a sense for consumers that online shopping was here to stay for certain Mm. but they did want to go back to the in-store experience because you just get something in the in-store experience that you don't get online and there are certain things that you want to buy where you want to feel it you want to experience it so we're not going to see a permanent shift for everything um and i think also what we're seeing else elsewhere when we took when we did the audio deep dive is that actually other channels coming are coming into the fall because they give us a break from the screen time yeah, so digital yeah, audio yeah. was seen mm. as a really good way of getting away from us sitting at our desks all day looking at our phones all day um audio was a real break from that so i think that's something that hopefully we will start to see more and more of and people uh, different, changing the way they use different digital devices to um, optimize mm. their their online experience. That's such a such a good point on 
getting away from screens like you know we've almost like maxed out on our screen time because they're all around us like yeah we're at the point where we need to get away from them Uh, and it makes me think of the the two charts that you show which are the sort of the day part of 2015 versus 2021 uh 2020 was there anything in there that surprised you well i think the thing that shocked me was that and it's probably true if you think about your own habits there's no downtime Mm. in 2021 and 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 i think one of the things that um consumers were sort of questioning themselves in this research is whether that's a good thing or not. Yeah, so the 2021 yeah. pattern starts at about seven o'clock in the morning and then digital usage is just a constant high until midnight. So we don't really turn off. Mm. And it doesn't mean that we're spending hours and hours with the same thing. We're actually moving quite a lot between different devices, but we are always on. And so that sense of things like audio possibly mm. giving mm. us a break from that screen fatigue become really important. And I think, um, yeah, brands and advertisers really need to think carefully about what's the optimum experience for consumers and how can we actually help them with, with that when it comes to advertising. And, and whilst it's always on, uh, there's a there's a bit you, you talk about which it, it's all it's all little chunk down bits. We're not just spending hours and hours watching video streaming. Uh, we might be, but more likely that we're doing sort of the, the smaller attention things, which I think is interesting. Yeah, definitely. I mean, of course, there, there are some differences in that. So if you're doing if you're on your console and you're gaming, you're probably likely to mm. spending a, a lot a longer session doing it. But generally speaking, yeah, we're we're talking a couple of minutes per session before we move on to the next thing that we're mm. doing online. And I think again, when you sort of asked earlier what has anything changed, I think the intensity of how much we're doing it's always been the case that advertisers have only had a short window the media owners have only had a short window to capture people's attention mm. um but when you look at how much more we're doing now than we were previously that the fact that we're still only spending a couple of minutes on on one thing before moving on to another becomes just a really important thing to to keep in mind in terms of how you engage in the best way with people at that moment yeah I love it. Thank you so much for giving us the overview, Elizabeth. Uh, We are going to jump into the panel that we recorded earlier on today uh, with Dan Danes from Mindshare, Monica Majimba from uh, Wavemaker, and Simon Andrews, who's the founder of Addictive and writes the brilliant uh, Fix newsletter every week. The IAB UK podcast. Thank you very much for joining us, uh, all, all of you. Dan, the, the, the first theme around being constantly connected, the provocative bit in me says, well, that's not new news. We've been saying this for years. I've built a career out of telling people with a smartphone in your pocket that you're constantly connected. What's what's so different about this? I think what's, what's different about this is um, the intensity and volume um, that's been highlighted here is also highlighting that the consumer experience isn't necessarily optimal. Um, so the fact that um, if, if I was to sum up the, the research piece in a couple of words, the consumers are ultimately crying out for transparency. They're crying out for personalised experiences and they, they want a more semantic experience, mm. um, which clearly um, the industry isn't necessarily responding to at the moment. So I think actually what you've, what you've got here is with that increase in consumption, for the first time you're seeing things like commercial radio is bigger than BBC radio, which we've never seen before. 18% of that listening is coming from smart TV devices or apps, which, again, is a huge chunk that we've never seen before, which clearly reflects the diversity of how we're using our domestic spaces around COVID. 
Um, so I think there's, there's, there needs to be a way to better identify the audiences that are going to obviously deliver your clients the most growth, identify the most effective ways to engage them. Um, and this is where standards will ultimately need to be raised across the industry in order to deliver those experience, certainly when it comes to device and platform interconnectivity. And, you know, when you get into... When you get into this, Simon, it, it you know the opportunity feels immense, but with the opportunity maybe comes some complexity as well. How, how, what's sort of best advice to advertisers who are trying to get their head around this stuff? You know, they've got day jobs to do; they're trying to sell or promote things. How on earth do you get your head around this idea that people's behaviours have changed completely in six years? Well, I guess you've got to split out the two things. One is the obsession with shiny objects, which we're all suspect of. Um, but, you know, marketing's all doing that. Understand your consumer. Where are they spending their time and attention? As Dan says, it's changed a little bit. We've got, you know, things like audio, things like smart TV growing in importance. So it's understanding where your attention's really being, your consumer attention is really being focused. Then try to work out how do you actually get involved in that? Elizabeth pointed out you tend to be short times on these um, experiences. You know, advertising needs to enhance it, not get in the way of it. Mm-hmm. So it there's a balance to be had there. Uh, on that, I, I love that point on the on the mindsets, Elizabeth. Where you had the little, the sort of the Venn diagrams meeting in the middle, and it felt to me like that bottom right one, the really immersive one. You know, is there any role for ads in that? Because that that for me feels that that's the kind of the holy grail of I'm there and I'm having this sort of very deep sort of connection with whatever it is. C- can ads still work in that bottom one there? Yeah, I mean they absolutely can. And actually, that was one of the things that we we were looking at throughout this year, and we were. We looked at connected TV users specifically. We looked, we looked all of the actually most of the immersive um, environment uh, activities that we uh, were in that that bottom right bubble were the things we did deep dives on this year. So whether that was the retail experience because people are really immersed when they're sort of scrolling through and looking at what they want to buy online, gaming, connected TV, digital audio. And what we saw from all of those deep dives is, yes, advertising can work, but it does need to be subtle. It needs to blend really well. And as Simon says, really not get in the way. So, you know, we saw throughout the day in terms of digital audio, for example, people are choosing different types of content. And we saw a bit of a trend from our qual research of people winding down at the end of the day. So you probably don't want to interrupt them there with something when they're sort of listening to a sleep cast or something, but when it blends well, it can work really well. And we saw that level of sophistication and the understanding growing as well. So people, I'll use the podcast example again. And we heard people saying, you know, if there's a narrative arc and the advert sort of follows me throughout the journey, but doesn't get in the way of the key moments that matter to me, I quite Mm. like that. Um, And similarly, gamers saying actually it helps them with their, uh, sort of understanding and, and expanding their gaming experience if they're shown things that are related at the right point. So yeah, it definitely can work, but it does need to to be careful not to disrupt that immersive experience. I love this idea of sophistication, Monica. We talked earlier in the year in uh, in March, which has felt very very different to now uh, when we launched the e-com bit of this. Um, uh, and on sophistication, do you think around ads, I mean, does that extend to the way people, I'm thinking about my own behaviour, I'm sort of putting things in baskets and then hoping that, you know, someone sends me a code for Black Friday. Are we getting, uh, has the last 18 months meant we're getting very sophisticated around how we buy online as well? Yes, I mean, 
obviously we've started to buy things online that we never thought we could before. What's really interesting now that things are opening up is that it isn't that, oh no, I bought it online. I'm only ever going to buy something online. There's a real interplay now between what do I want to go back in store for those investments or the things where it's too hard to determine or I hate having to buy it and then send it back, et cetera. So we're seeing a return for cosmetics, for clothing, et cetera. Um, I think it's an interplay. I think what we have to think about is the research, the attention. Sometimes people are going back to their baskets. To your point, remember we said that that, that basket is now your consideration is that yeah. people are going back now multiple times. They might go in store and come back because they can go, go in store and come back. So to be conscious about when someone is browsing, when someone's actually thinking about it, but I, I don't want to yet make that payment. And when someone's like, right, I'm ready. You know, the bargain hunters are like, right, I'm going to wait for the code, especially now. Yeah, it's yeah. like, might as well wait for 10 days. Black Friday is here, right? And then maybe I'll just take the plunge even if I don't get anything. Um, so it's understanding to Elizabeth's point for the mindsets, the attention level, and the fact that no longer is it just, we always think about last click attribution. And now mm. it's multiple click attribution and almost like multiple visits before even that attribution can, can take place. Yeah. Uh, how does this sit? One, one for you and Dan. How does this sit within an agency now? Because we, we get the sense that it is all kind of blown. When we talk about radio, we could easily be talking about digital. When we talk about telly, we could easily be talking about connected TV. How does, it, how does it kind of sit structurally, Dan? And has anything changed, do you think, that sort of nods to this different behaviour that we're seeing? Um, I, think there's, I think there's perhaps um, a need to get more into the weeds, particularly around the different audiences, particularly when you think about those audiences that are going to grow your client's business and the platforms that they're spending the majority of their time on. I think how you start to not only identify those audiences, um, to Monica's point, showing various different levels of intent, whether that be already um, looking to become a customer or whether it's at a higher level or a mid-funnel level, I think it's how you ultimately start to balance your messaging, not just on those platforms individually, but across across the um, across the platforms themselves, and mm. I think therefore context is going to be critical in informing that strategic planning um, right at the very top. So how you use your data partners, um, how you use partners such as Finecast who can integrate that into their um, the TV the connected TV planning and buying, I think is going to be pivotal. Mm. And, uh, I think. Sorry, I was going to say, I think to that point, Dan, as well, um, addressability becomes really interesting. You were talking before, right, about how like every screen is suddenly has multiple uses for multiple intents, right? Knowing that we could stream a podcast on our TV changes the dynamic of how we use that. So then addressability becomes quite interesting across different channels and what, you know, what messages over when and how targeted and what mindset. It, it opens up a lot of possibilities across that. Mm. On the multiple screens, Simon, you said in um, last week's fix, we seem to be duplicating many of the problems that pollute the display ad market in the nascent connected TV space. What, 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 why do we do that as an industry? We sort of we don't learn our lesson ever. You know, there's this amazing new, you know, we sort of digitised telly, yet we're trying to make it very, very complicated. What, what, why do you think that happens? I think the economics of new TV are quite interesting. You know, you talk about is there a role for advertising on the smart TV well, there has to be, because there's $70 billion worth of TV money that the audience is fleeing from the place you used to put that. And the economics of, you know, subscriptions, we've all got Netflix, we've got Disney, there's Disney show last week, they're topping out, there's not enough people who want to pay to mm. for these things. So advertising on TV works really well all around the world, and, you know, finding ways to accommodate will make lots of sense. 
but instead we're taking the ad tech model, which you'd argue hasn't worked that well anywhere else. So we put a banner on a website and put a B2B ad there because the person looked at, you know, all of that bad practice is now being brought to television, uh, television. And it sort of feels like, I know you have to have that because there's a long tail of a million websites and lots of people with inventory. On TV, there's going to be hundreds, mm. maybe a thousand people who originate, you know, that inventory. You don't need it very complicated. But because you're an ad tech company, you don't say, I'm going to leave that alone to somebody else. A trade desk valuation, you know, is boosted by getting to connect to TV. So can we bring the good stuff and not the bad stuff? That's the hope, I guess, we have. Yes, and probably the same for... Uh, for creativity as well. Um, Dan, you've worked on a number of different luxury brands. It always fascinates me when um, uh, Elizabeth was talking about really using this insight to get into the skin of the audience, luxury brands in gaming. It, it, it sort of stunned me to begin with because in my experience, they've always been fairly conservative when it comes to digital glossy mags that look great on coffee tables. I'm doing a huge disservice here, but sort of amazing standout outdoor. But digital has always had that degree of wariness about it. Why have they seemingly gone all in on something like gaming? Um, I, I think it's for a number of different reasons. I think it comes back to that point that that is where they see the future of their audiences. Um, and the numbers coming out of Boston um, consulting group would ultimately support that. Mm. So I think it's I think it's something like fifty six percent of the ind- of the luxury industry is going to be Gen Z and millennials in the next five years, which obviously showcases if that's a huge platform for Gen Z and millennials. It's how do you become more relevant for your brands in those spaces. I would also say that from a luxury perspective as well, whilst they haven't necessarily, to Simon's point, picked up the ad tech side of things as much as the rest of the industry what they have done for the last 50 60 plus years is go all in on their partners Mm. um so they'll always have um their several key partners whether it be sponsorship partners whether it be events partners whether it be um publishing partners they will they will go all in on those 100 percent. and it feels like very much that they're starting to do that with gaming as an extension of a lot of their sponsorship related activity so I think um, in the gaming piece, uh, in the upfronts, we, we spoke about how um, people that sponsor, or brands, sorry, that sponsor Wimbledon could also move into the tennis gaming space, for example, um, and how it's, it, it doesn't necessarily have a, um, doesn't necessarily have a, uh, it, it sort of lends itself more to the, um, essentially the more passive experience of sponsorship rather than the more active interruptive experience that we used to. It's scandalous that Mindshare aren't paying their electric bills, by the way. I, mean, I, just, <laughs> I just can't believe this. I mean, we should just have someone just sort of clapping in the air so these, these, light, these lights come on. Perhaps, they want to, perhaps they're trying to pull you from this. I don't, I, I don't know. Um, hey, James, a quick aside on you know, luxury brands. Um, my wife works with Cano. who have just done this STEM player with Kanye West. Hmm. It's a music device. What's interesting, the first company got in touch asking for a sample. It wasn't an agency. Wasn't a music business brand. It's Balenciaga who wanted them to see them in Paris straight away. It's interesting. It's, fa- it's kind of fascinating how they're, they're sort of leading in this new thing. Um, uh, Elizabeth, you had an, um, uh, an amazing stat, I believe, on the age of consumers and what they're doing around, but possibly an age group who, when it comes to digital, we perhaps have written off. 
Yeah, it was really interesting. Um, well, probably a slightly annoying thing for the Sparkler team. Throughout this whole real living research, we've gone back to them as we normally do with research, saying, are there any differences between, between age groups? We'd love to pull out different group, different things that, you know, anything different, anything that's um, younger people are doing more than older people. And actually, most of the time, there were slight nuances in type, the types of behaviour that were exhibited, but actually... Most of this is quite mainstream now. So actually, we're talking about everybody being online. Certainly, we know that because of the pandemic, there was a point where we all had to be online. We could, it was the only way we could communicate. It was the only way we could buy our, the, our, our supermarket shop. Um, but they've all stuck around. And actually, what we've seen outside of real, real living... If we look at the UCOM, um, UCOM and the Ipsos Iris data uh, that we, we've, uh, we get from that, what they've had to do this year is change their... Um, their panel base to account for the fact that over 75s have been the biggest group to start using online more so than ever. So they've had to change the whole sort of establishment panel to account for that biggest growth rate. So yeah, obviously younger audiences have been online all the time, but the, the pandemic has shown in the last uh, year or so it's that over 75. So, you know, we were always talking about the, the 55 plus group, the 65 plus mm. group is the, the, that cohort of, of older audiences. Actually, maybe we need to start thinking about the over 75 now very much who are all in Fortnite, i would imagine buying luxury high-end handbags perhaps, perhaps they are perhaps they're not um anything that uh, i mean you see lots of stuff elizabeth um uh, research wise i probably always ask you this question but was there anything that genuinely caught your eye or or surprised you or should we not be surprised that we're not surprised if you see what i mean i think sort of linking to what dan was saying right at the beginning it's not necessarily um, that we are surprised to see that so many audiences are doing all these different things now and we're doing so, so much more. We've all have probably individually lived it ourselves, so we know. But I think it's the implications of what it means and the fact that it's not just that we have worked out ourselves at the IB is going, okay, well, the implications of this, actually consumers are telling us. The implication of me doing more online is that I expect more from my online ad experience than perhaps I did a few years ago. And I think that's the thing that surprised me most was how much they could articulate what they were seeing and they could understand the mechanics of why they were seeing the affiliate links. They knew why, why they were seeing a related game because they knew they'd just played something on a similar genre. So they're, you know, they're really becoming quite savvy. And I think that was the thing that really stood out for me. Mm. Now I was going to say, like, I think that um, idea that they understood that there was like an exchange and they're okay with that exchange, but obviously there's still rules of engagement of, but allow me to skip and allow me to, to, to you know, click and, and close that box because there are times I'm okay with you interrupting and there are many times I'm not okay with you interrupting. Yeah. Um, we've got a question. We've got a hand up from Tom. Tom, you could be making IAB history here in the first virtual hand that's ever been raised in a webinar. I hope it's not an accident. So, Tom, do you have a question for the... Oh, the hand's gone down. Ah, oh, Tom. <laughs> You really, it could have been, it, I mean, it could have been a genuine media first. This is the sort of thing that could have gone on your LinkedIn, but uh, it's just not to be. What a shame. What a shame. Um, uh, when you, um, uh, how much uh, uh, of it sort of caught you by surprise, Dan, or again, does it just back up, you know, what you're kind of thinking anyway? Um, I, I think the... The main things that caught me by surprise were um, was large was largely the um, what the consumers uh, 
kind of spelling out or what the panel is spelling out, sorry, from a consumer behavior standpoint. Um, like I said, I think that the the things that the, they are calling for from an industry standpoint, the fact that it highlights that the consumer experience necessarily isn't as optimal as we would like, I think that transparency, that personalization, that semantic um, delivery, I think really highlights what Web 3.0 is promising it will be when it eventually gets here. Um, so obviously that's a that's a huge macro trend, but that's going to have huge consumer implications. Mm. The very fact that consumers seem ready for it, I think, um, makes it almost like a half open door for advertisers and the industry to start pushing on. And the, the 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 pie chart, which was kind of confirming that we largely don't quite know yet, is is that a planner's delight or a or a planner's nightmare? Um, I, I personally think it's um, I, I, I well, I've been of both. Um, I think no. there's I think there's an opportunity. I think there's an opportunity here for um, agencies certainly to help their clients make big bets in this space. Yeah. The ones that are going to deliver them the most growth. I think it also highlights that in the short to midterm, they're going to have to be agile, um, particularly when it comes to their creative messaging um, and, and balancing that ultimately. Um, and I think there's, there's going to be an element there of, uh, depending on um, the level of sophistication around your clients, whether you lean more into um, helping from an in- infrastructural standpoint, a MarTech standpoint to help deliver on those solutions, or you help focus um, on where they can achieve, achieve the best growth. Yeah, and 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 similar, Simon. What is it that you're probably most excited about? I mean, you cover everything from ecom to telly to to, to audio. Where where is it you're getting most excited about? I think it's things are coming together. I, I think that the premise of Pix is that our industry was transformed by ad tech and still going on now in lots of ways, good and bad. But that's coming to retail with everything D to C. Um, you know the retailers you know the stores are online as well the big brands are trying to go b2c you know so heinz launched a website you could buy kinds of soup you know lots of things going on from there and then you know with television you know their d2c business as well they're trying to actually get you and me to sign up from there so that bringing together which is really interesting the thing that i still get excised most and surprised by is the creative we still turn up with terrible creative we don't do that if you pick up a newspaper yeah it works really well Magazine, the ads work really well. Radio, the ads work quite well. Television, the ads work quite well. They come to online and it's a mess. I spend too much time looking at football stuff on you know, display and you find you can't read an article because every paragraph is another bloody ad, ad after ad, pop ups, etc. from there. And I think Elizabeth calling out people's knowledge and understanding of advertising is great. People understand the brand bargain, but they suffer advertising in digital at the moment. They put up with it. Um, and, you know, I think we have to do better. And we know if your creative is better, it's a single best way of improving your media performance. So at yeah. some point that has to come into play. And I think that those people who get that right are the ones who will prosper in this you know, very complicated new world. Yeah, I think it's a brilliant point. You're nodding vigorously, uh, Monica. I mean, I love the, the phrase suffering advertising. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's a really good way of articulating it. And I think, yeah, I mean, it, the digital space, online space is still one where we're learning what works where. I think when we were talking about gaming, whether or not advertisers have a role to play there, they do, but it's about integration. It's about brand integration, right? That's where you see success from those fashion designers we were talking about before, where they enhance and add to it because 
there's an element of realism everyone wants in the gaming world. So actually there is a role for advertising that feels like real world advertising, just not in a way that's jarring. Yeah. And I wonder if um, some of these environments, you talk about gaming there, um, podcasting where we've seen tremendous growth. I wonder if some of these are at tipping points in that my podcasts are very immersive and I want to do something. If we took the sort of open display model, Simon, and just did the audio equivalent of just pouring lots of MPUs in there, that immersive thing just isn't going to work. So there is this real balance, isn't there, between something commercializing something and you know keeping a healthy open ecosystem but also and it feels even more prevalent for what elizabeth said just just really thinking about that consumer in those specific spaces well i think we talked about this in the pre-session yeah context yeah if you if you if brands knew where their ads were appearing in the context i think we'd stamp out a lot of the stuff the bad practice but i think they don't, it's too hard to do that now yeah every podcast but you think about you're listening to someone talking about something very clever and, you know, and a programmatic ad pops up in the middle and it just jars. You know, radio tends to work that out. So, you know, things fit with the sort of context of radio. You know, the ads on talk radio, different to the ads on music radio. We haven't brought that, I want not sophistication, that sort of common sense into podcasts mm. and audio yet. Yeah. Hopefully that will come because I think, you know, the feedback will, you know, educate people you need to do better. Yeah. Um, uh, uh... I should mention it because um, it comes up again and again and again. Um, Elizabeth, what about measurement in all of this as well? Because, uh, you know, when we hear advertisers, they're, they're crying out and saying, one, make digital measurement easier so I can measure everything the same. I guess the same goes for these emerging areas around audio and e-com and, and gaming as well. Yeah, absolutely. And, and of course, everything is... Um... It, it doesn't. It, it sort of gets more and more more complex and and not easier to sort of measure everything together. But there are great sort of um, strides being made in terms of uh, cross media measurement. Lots of things going on. But the other thing that I would love to see, and, and you roll your eyes because I always say this whenever you ask me this question, is we have we still haven't yet got to a point where we can actually you know say how big these. Um, different uh, uh, different media activities are in terms of how much revenue they're making. We've been able to say for a long time what smartphone and non-smartphone is, but we still haven't got to a point yet where we're talking about connected TV and the size of the market, the size of the gaming market, the size of even things like digital out of home. We managed to get what was great this year, and it tied in so nicely with our Real Living deep dive into digital audio, is that we managed to have a digital ad spend number for audio and podcasting for the first time ever and it was just brilliant to be able to say alongside the fact that we're seeing consumer behavior change and grow in this space and we're seeing the, the the benefits of that for the industry as well i would love to see in terms of measurement us being able to finally say and this is the size of connected tv this is how much the rev- the advertising revenue is making just so that we can really sort of bring together those two sides of the consumer experience of it and what it actually means for the industry as well so that's what I would love to see in terms of measurement. And this is probably a noddy question, but um, why can't we do that at the moment? What's missing? Well, at the moment, it's 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 partly trying to make sure that we're doing it in the right, most accurate way. But it's mostly, more than that, it's actually just getting those numbers in from um, from the industry. So we need the participation of um, those companies that are working in these spaces to um, participate in ad spend and tell us uh, how their how the year's been. And um, if we do get enough of that um, information in, we can absolutely publish it. There's nothing stopping us from doing that. So Amazing. So if you're in TV or you're in gaming and you're on this call or you know someone 
in connected TV or getting on this call, send Elizabeth your numbers so we can put it in ad spend and we can show how massive uh, it's become, not just in terms of consumer behaviour. Um, just uh, thinking about wrapping up now, I'd love to ask each of you uh, most exciting thing for 2022. I mean, you can go all out here. When I, I was looking back at 2015, trying to think of some uh, interesting things. 2015, when the first Rural Living came out, was, of course, uh, the Apple Watch. We had Bendgate with the 6S, if you sort of remember that. Meerkat was a big thing then. Not quite sure where Meerkat's gone. Periscopes is streaming. Um, what's uh, the most incredibly fantastical thing in digital that you're looking forward to next year, Dan? Um, so, as I've, as I've said throughout this, I think that the, the, the elements of Web3 Web are going to be coming through a lot more and they'll be increasingly more disruptive from a consumer behaviour standpoint. But if I was to pick one thing in the next 12 months that I think will probably start to get a bit more ten um, attention, and I think it's probably going to be live stream commerce. Mm. Um, we've get, we've gradually been seeing traction gain in the East. Obviously, it's huge in China. Um, and I think you're obviously starting to see a lot more of that from, the, uh, from TikTok in particular and how they're starting to integrate that with the creator economy. Yeah. Um, I mean, everyone knows uh, hashtag TikTok, maybe buy it. It's, uh, it's certainly huge across that platform. But also you're obviously seeing um, capabilities being tested across YouTube as well. So I think as long as they can deliver something that is palatable for a Western market experience, I think live stream commerce is uh, probably the one that we're going to see a lot of growth in next year. Very good. And you know that we're just going to chop up these clips and play them out in nine months, whether it sort of happens <laughs> or not in that sort of horrible way when we invite you back. Um, Monica, what about you? Um, I, it's really a buzzword, but I think it's quite interesting regarding the metaverse and consumer mm. understanding of that beyond just the world of gaming. Obviously, it's a spectrum. We've been borrowing lots of technology in the real world, obviously, with lots of news around there. It's just people's understanding, consumer understanding what that means and how brands play a part. I think that would be interesting to watch. Yeah, nice. Uh, Simon? Um, I'd agree with what everyone said before. Yeah, I think Web 3.0 is going to sort of get past the hype and all the charlatans, you know, and we'll see the real ideas of what the foundations that's going to build. And live stream shopping is going to be fantastic. One of my best friends is a QVC presenter, and you see how much money they make. You know, it just, it's just going to pop any minute now from there. I think AR still got lots of potential there. Yeah. I, I saw... Um, Nike did a, a video of a run in Brooklyn with AR glasses on. And you saw this perfect use case because they're going for a run, the AR glasses just, you know, helps a little bit, encouraging you to throw, you know, some, um, you know, like the snap um, AR effects, lens effects around it from there. So very subtle, but maybe mm. a from there. So I feel that's going to come more to mainstream as well this year. Yeah, very, very nice. Uh, the final, Jerry's final thought is with, uh, is with you, Elizabeth. Well, I mean, I've sort of a, a slight sort of cop out to say that everything that um, Dan, Simon and Monica will be saying, <laughs> I totally agree with. But I think probably one of the things that I think from from the sort of looking at consumer attitudes perspective, sort of linking link to what Monica was saying about how what consumers understand about what's changing, what does the metaverse mean? I think with all of these things that are going to grow and become more mainstream, I think tracking consumer understanding of what's happening and what that means for their experience and how much they're trusting our role in that and making it a, a positive experience for them, I think will be um, increasingly mm. important to just bear in mind and make sure brands are aware of. So yeah, that's what I would say. Very, very good. Livestream commerce, hashtag metaverse. 
AR 2.0. You've got to give them these good names because, you know, you'd better get it otherwise and, and uh, trying to find out more about consumer understanding. Brilliant. Thank you so, so much to the panel. Thank you, Dan, Monica, Simon. And of course, thank you as well, Elizabeth. The IAB UK podcast. Oh, that episode should have been sponsored by Night Nurse, dear me. We need to move this cold on. Um, what a brilliant, brilliant panel, though. Dan Danes from Mindshare. Wavemaker's head of strategy, Monica Majumda, and the man behind the brilliant Fix newsletter, Simon Andrews. The complete launch session, including Elizabeth's deep dive into the research's findings, as well as the full fat presentation with every insight in detail, is available at iabuk.com. Enjoy it, steal with pride and use it in your own presentations, and of course, share with anyone you think will be interested in the findings too. Thanks very much for listening. IAB UK, building a sustainable future for digital advertising.